Welcome to Quantum Untanglement, the podcast about the intersection of shamanism, technology, science, and art. Hello, this is Jacqueline Denali, and this is our 10th episode. Today, I want to talk about power objects when it comes to shamanism and This entails how to infuse them as well as what happens when you're done with them. So as a shaman, we have several tools. Some of them are to help us with journey, which might include different kinds of rattles or drums, which oftentimes come with some sort of a spirit behind them. Then other times we create tools, for example, to help evoke our ancestors or if we have some heavy hitters that we really need to use for some of the more difficult shaman work, we may choose an object and then have it infused with the essence, for lack of a better word, of the one that we're trying to connect to it. So in that situation, they don't live in the object, they're just connected to it. So for example, I have a staff which I can use to weave a protective energetic space when I'm working on house clearings, which has been infused with energy from the Nords, which are these three um, people to thought mythology items, you know, people who um, are in charge of the tree of wisdom, the fountain of wisdom. And so I have a tradition in order to go and basically hand them an energetic version of my staff. They dip it into the water. I then have access to that power. There's other situations. For example, we have the Tibetan Taras that we work with within my particular discipline. They are there to support us when we have really, really, really difficult, scary kinds of journeys. So for example... There are these creatures we call the dark ones. From my understanding, because I I think I know I've had experience with them, but not as a shaman. It was when I was, you know, more susceptible and didn't, you know, have the protections in place. But they are often what we would call the fallen demons, right? Fallen angels, things like that. Now, the majority of the time when I'm a working on an individual, I'm not running into them. They're rare. Most of the time, the entities I'm working with were human based. They're just people who have despair, they have, you know, torment, they're suffering beings. The majority of any quote unquote ghosts are not going to be this particular brand. However, the dark ones do exist. I've interacted with one in particular um, when I was really vulnerable as a new mother. And they are more like spores. They're more like mushrooms in the sense that there is like the origin, but they're able to spread across many different people or objects in order to siphon off whatever it is that they're trying to feed off of. So for example, you can think of it like there's a factory, an energetic factory out there, which is trying to harvest and pump as much of the energetic, you know, essence of people to feed these dark ones. These dark ones, the way that my shaman explains it is that they're from a different universe. 
And the idea is that if you come in contact with one, you first of all don't know if you have the original one or if you just have one of its, you know, many streams of spores that are out there. But they're very, very hard to deal with. And most of the time, all you can do is untangle your single client from that single source. It is rare that you can get rid of the entire thing. And when you come in contact with them, they can be quite aggressive. They can cause thoughts to come into your mind and make you very panicked in order to get you to stop what you're doing. So we have several heavy hitters and they are normally infused, you could say, into these objects, not that they live in them. I don't carry around, you know, these entities with me because they have better things to do. But they do basically create a conduit where if I need them, I can use the object to contact them, you could say, then they will come and help me. So here's the tricky part. When I was talking in one of my my classes many, many months ago, I said, so what happens when I die and I have all of these energy infused things here at home? So in traditional, you know, tribal worlds, you would have your upcoming shamans who would inherit those objects. They would know what they were. They would know how to manage them. But in today's society, I don't have a legacy planned, right? And it almost seems like I have to now create a will on what to do with these power objects if I pass away before I can basically release them of the power. Because the last thing I want to do is have somebody say, oh, I remember, you know, Jacqueline, and I would like to have this token from her, you know, altar, because I think that would make me remember her. And then all of a sudden, they have access to, you know, an ancestor who they really don't need to have coming to visit them in their room. Or it might be, you know, the rattle, which has a One of my rattles is um, of an Arctic fox, has an infusion with it. Another rattle has a uh, polar bear spirit that's infused with it. And if they never use them again, like think of all of the Native American artifacts that are in different museums. If they go dormant, you know, they're they're not being used. Okay, well, maybe that's not the biggest deal. But what if all of a sudden they become active again and they have, you know, residual resentment for not being used. I don't know. There could be plenty of um, different ways that that particular object could react to its new owner, to its new home, for how it's being used. Because it could be that somebody takes it and then tries to do more dark magic with it, which is not the intention I'd put towards it. So the responsible shaman, if they're going to either give up the practice um, or are towards the end of their life and they don't have someone who will understand how to use these items would actually destroy them. They would energetic release and destroy these objects so that they are basically being responsible about all these things that we're creating. And it's really important to, you know, be mindful of what you're creating. I mean, I have stones here where I had them in my classes so that it could basically absorb the energies and the knowledge that happened in those classes so that I have access to them. So in some ways, if somebody has the ability to 
tap into that, then they could learn as much as you would in someone's journal or their diary, which could be beautiful. But it also could not make sense and could be dangerous that they don't understand the context of it. Which then brings us to a different idea. When people find artifacts, there are those that can tap into the artifact and remember how it came to be and the journey that ended up where you know they presently are. But that is also a way potentially how to understand how ancient cultures were able to do different things because it might be infused in the artifact, not through written, but through that, again, energetic level. But what is the responsibility of those that might be able to tap into it? Because again, it might only be part of the story. So should we send different shamans to these different museums and energetically release all that information? Or do you try to preserve it? There's a lot of, you know, ambiguous ways of, of how to be responsible with all these powerful items. I myself don't have a plan. <laughs> Not yet. You know, I'm still relatively young and... Um, from my understanding, I'm going to be living a very, very old age, both because, both because uh, genetically women in my family live into their 90s or early 100s, but also in journeying, I've seen it. I, I live very, very old. So I have time to figure it out, but I also have to keep track of all these things. And that's where I've been putting together this um, handwritten book. So this is different from like the potentially published book I'm going to have at some point. I haven't worked on it in a while. But I have a handwritten book of all the things I've ever learned. And I've gotten maybe through half of the things I've learned so far. But I'm going to inventory all of my things within this book so that I'm aware of it and others are aware of it in case, by chance, I'm not able to release the energy and destroy them. Or in case someone wants to understand the history of if I gifted it to another, you know, remarkable soul that wants to take on this work. So the other thing to kind of keep in mind is that you don't have to be a shaman to have energy into objects. A lot of times people infuse energy into them to begin with because they might mean something or, you know, you're going through a really traumatic time and you have like this comfort item. It could be a blanket, it could be a ring, it could be a necklace, it could be a particular jacket that you wear. And so you're infusing it day after day with that energy to help you process it. And now it carries it. So in some cases, you get very sentimental and you don't want to destroy the item. That's fine. But you got to find a way to then release the energy so that others do not necessarily have it affect them. Or it becomes an attachment to your soul, which makes it harder for you to move on. So think of you know, if you were like, oh, you know, this scarf reminds me of my mother and it still smells like her, you know, 15 years later. Well, there's probably a bit of her that's been attached to it if, if that's a memory of yours and hers together, right? But at the same time, I can understand it's really hard to let go. It's really hard to say, hey, I, I, I want this attachment. I want this connection through this object. So a conduit to my loved one. But is that fair? Ooh, it's really hard. It's really hard to, 
to make that decision because you have to do it without judgment. You have to know that it might be part of your healing experience that you need that connection. But eventually, I would hope that you would one day heal and be able to release it. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.